Morning, new life. Good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Are you excited to be in the house of God? I am worshiping God, spirit and in truth. Wow, Victor, good to see you here, brother. <laughs> hey, how many of you know that, you know, we've been in the Crosstown Classic, and so there's been a lot of divided families between the Sox and the Cubs. So see this T-shirt? This is to unite you all. It's new life right in the middle, both sides. So, no, we just, had a, we just had a conference yesterday, our small group conference, and it was amazing to see hundreds of small group leaders out here uh, with energy, ready to start our small group season, which starts, I believe it's uh, in, in two weeks from now. So I want you to make sure that you sign up for a small group when you can. That's a way to get connected with people in church because right now you're staring at the back of someone's head, but we want you to know people by name. How about it? Okay. Today I want to talk to you about how to be used of God. How to be used of God. You know, I grew up in the country of Spain, and so our first sport is soccer. Our second sport is soccer. Our third sport is soccer. Our fourth sport is soccer. And it's divided by, between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Those are the two big teams there. And so my brother, uh, when he was about a freshman in high school, he had a dream of coming to the U.S. And he had never played American football, but he wanted to come to an American high school and play American football. That was his dream. And so he came and he went to Bogan High School. Any Bogan graduates here? No. Oh, yeah, we got one or two here. All right. He went to Bogan High School and he joined the football team and he practiced and he was excited about it. He was pumped up working. And um, because he was new and because he was a freshman, they had him sit on the side. But then one game early on into the semester, he called, he, uh, a player got injured, and they called Job. And he said, hey, Job, come on out. And he was so excited. Like, my, finally, my chance to play. I've been preparing. This is my dream. He got out into the field. Shortly after he got it, someone threw the ball. He caught an interception. The crowd went wild. His team went wild. Can't believe that Job from Spain caught the interception. He started running. The team started going a little bit even more wild. He heard people yelling while he was running with the ball towards the touchdown. He saw his own players yelling, Job, Job, and he saw panic on their face, but he thought, hey, they're excited. He saw the coach out of the side of his eyes yelling, Job, Job, and he thought, wow, they're really pumped up about me getting this ball. And he kept running with all his might, and he crossed the line, and he turned around, and he realized he had just done a touchdown on the wrong side of the field. I believe everybody here should be in the game. Everyone should be in the game. Not sitting on the sidelines, not just consumers, because I believe that everyone here has gifts and a call of God, and I believe that God wants to use you. 
There are some people that feel like God could never use me. I should sit on the sidelines because maybe I'm not trained enough. Maybe I haven't been around long enough. Maybe I don't know enough about God. But if you're here and you're breathing, God wants to use you. Tell the person beside you, God wants to use you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not even a believer. That's all right. God still wants to use you. He first wants to save you. Then he wants to use you. I'm just letting you know that. But God wants to use you. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And so I want us to look at how, what God has to do to use us, how God uses us. And so if you take your Bibles and turn to, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're only going to be looking at two verses today of Romans chapter 12, how to be used of God. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert in advance. There are two things that need to happen according to this passage for you to know the will of God and for him to use you. Two simple things. Write them down. Number one, surrender your body. Number two, renew your mind. Let me repeat them, very simple. Number one, surrender your body. Number two, renew your mind. It tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, this is for brothers and sisters, but it's generic, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not, be, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Listen. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will were the Lord. Let me start by the first verse, the first thing that God requires of those that he's going to use. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me break this down. If you have your Bibles, the very first word that is listed there in chapter 12, verse 1, is the word, therefore. For those of you that flunked your English class, therefore is an adverb. They call it a conjunctive adverb. The, the adverb therefore ties two thoughts together. So anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is it? Therefore. It means that I'm building on a previous thought. So as we go into chapter 12 of Romans, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm building on a last thought. By the way, can I tell you that the Bible was not written with chapter and verses. Those were added at a later date so that when we study the Bible, we could say chapter 12, verse 1. But the Apostle Paul and other authors of the Bible didn't write them with chapters and verses. Those were added for our convenience. So these thoughts carry into one another. So what is the Apostle Paul building on? We'll look at the end of chapter 11. The end of chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, 
The Apostle Paul gives a doxology. A doxology is a blessing, and he builds the therefore on this blessing, and let me read it for you. It says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The apostle Paul is saying, God is so big, so magnificent, so omniscient that you can't even begin to grasp the mind of God. You could spend your days Eight hours a day, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, from morning until late at night, all of your life until you're 90 years old. And at 90 years old, after studying every verse of theology, historical theology, looking into every spiritual book, memorizing the Bible, every jot and tittle, and do everything that you can to understand the mind of God, you would walk away realizing, I know very little about who God is. I've only scratched the surface of this omnipotent, omniscient being. Because who can know the mind of a God that has never had a beginning, that will never have an end, a God that is omniscient, which means he knows all things, a God that's omnipotent, which means he has all power, a God that is sovereign, which means that there's nothing beyond his ability to change, a God that's immutable, which means that he never changes because if you're already perfect, you can't change into perfection. And the Apostle Paul in his doxology says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. So the Apostle Paul says God's mind is so big, God's character is so great that none of us could ever begin to fathom who God is. He says, therefore. You say, well, if God is so big, if his mind is so great, how am I ever going to know what God's will is for my life? The Apostle Paul breaks it down into two things that I just told you. If you want to know the will of God for your life and be used of God, therefore, I urge you. He's imploring. There's urgency in his voice. This is a, I'm asking you with all of my heart, in the view of God's mercy... In other words, why should we ever even want to be used of God? Because in the first 11 chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul has described the mercies of God. He's told us that we're adopted. He's told us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's told us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit into the redemption. He's told us that he has given us a spirit of adoption and he's broken the bonds of slavery. He's told us that we are his. He's told us that, that he has forgiven us as far as the east is from the west. He's thrown his sins away from us because of his mercy, because of his mercy. In light of God's mercy, he says this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, 
This statement, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, was a shock to the listeners. You see, in the Jewish culture, when anybody wanted to enter the temple or get close to the temple to offer prayers, they would have to sacrifice something on the altar. People would buy lambs and sometimes doves, and they would sacrifice an animal on the altar and sprinkle the blood so that they could come clean and so that they could get close to the holiness of God. And they were used to the altar. The altar was a place where a sacrificed animal was placed on before they could draw near. It was their way of it was their way of coming into the presence of a holy God, acknowledging that they had sinned, so they would offer a sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so they understood what a sacrifice was. Can I tell you, by the way, that we don't do sacrifices like that anymore? We don't have any room in the back with chickens and goats and sheep that we sacrifice. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago, there was a sacrifice that was made. It's the perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice like none other. It wasn't a great unblemished specimen of a sheep that was sacrificed. It was the perfect sacrifice, all God, all man, without sin, dying on a cross, shedding his blood. We call it Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, who died for us. And ever since then, there are no sacrifices because there was one sacrifice that was made that is sufficient to wash away our sins from now unto eternity. We no longer have to offer blood sacrifices because he was the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. But the Apostle Paul says, I'm not asking you to bring me a sacrifice. Listen. I'm asking you to be the sacrifice. I'm not asking you to bring a sacrifice to me. I'm asking that you would offer yourself as a sacrifice for me. Not a sacrifice that gets killed, but a living sacrifice. In other words, he pictures this image of us as living human beings getting up on the altar normally where an animal was killed, but now we as living beings are up on the altar saying, God, my body belongs to you. I am staying on this altar knowing that I belong to you. I want to live for you. I want to breathe for you, talk for you. I want my life to be yours, but I'm a living sacrifice to you. This is huge, and I want you to understand this. If you are going to be used of God, it says, brothers, that you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, let me break this down for a second because I think it's important to understand. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says that we as human beings exist in a trichotomy, which means that there's three components we are body, soul, and spirit. The body is the part of you that this morning when you got up, some of you it ate. 
It's that part of you that when you look in the mirror this morning, you said, I got to do something with this hair. I don't say that very often. <laughs> it's the physical part of you, the part that right now I see and the part that you see. But there's a part that we don't see that's called our soul. Our soul is our emotions, our intellect, and our will. Sometimes we call it our personality. It's that part of us that composes the you, what makes you unique as an individual and as a person. That's your soul. It is how you think and how you act. It is the decisions that you make and how you feel. It is the thinking part of you, the volition part of you, the essence of who you are. That's your soul. But there's a third part of you that every human being is born with that we don't talk about really in the scientific world that much, but it's called the spirit part of you. You are a spirit being, and every human being is a spirit being. You have a spirit. That spirit inside of you is the part that relates to the spiritual world, the unseen world. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's that part of you that connects to the spirit world. When you become a believer in Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Godhead, at the moment that you become a believer, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes inside of your body and awakens your spirit. So now the Holy Spirit lives with your spirit in your body. The Holy Spirit now becomes the paracolita, the coach. He, when you open the Bible, the Holy Spirit enlightens your mind so that you understand the Bible. When you go to worship, the Holy Spirit wants you to call Abba Father. He propels your spirit to worship. When you sin, he brings conviction upon you and you feel the grief of the Holy Spirit. When something, when you start to praise, he brings about joy in you so you feel the joy of God. When you feel like you have no power to overcome certain things in your life, you experience the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength to overcome things that you could not overcome in your natural power. When you open up your mouth to speak of God, he fills your mouth with words that you didn't know even you had because it's the Holy Spirit empowering you to be a bold witness to God himself. This is important that you understand. So he says, listen, he says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. That word holy, if I were to ask that you describe yourself, most of you would not describe yourselves as holy. In fact, when I say, well, what do you think of when I say the word holy? You may say God. Or some of you have this image of, well, a picture that you have seen maybe. Maybe of a woman dressed in religious clothes, usually kind of looking like she just drank some lemon juice. with a little halo and, and her hands folded in prayer. 
and you think, well, that's holy. The word holy means set apart unto God. This may surprise you, but if you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible calls you a saint. Say your name. No, say, say your real name. And now practice doing this. Put saint in front of your name. Go ahead, do it. That's who you are. That's who God calls you. Because saint means to be, saint comes from holy, and holy means separated unto God. Every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are being called to be set apart unto God. In other words, you're in the world, but not of the world. You are called to live a life that is separate unto God, dedicated unto God, in the midst of a world, but not behaving like the world in the middle of the trenches, but not stained by the trenches, not talking or walking or behaving like the world around us because we are called to be set apart. We are called to be holy. Now, I want you to understand this because this is very important. So God says, if you want to be used, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now let me, let me just say this. You know, we don't like to be in an altar because sometimes the altar is painful. I know very few people that like to go to the dentist. And some of you really avoid going to the dentist because old school dentists sometimes can be painful. They get in there drilling your teeth and asking you, does this hurt? And of course your mouth is open I don't know what it is about dentists that, that dentists, hygienists, they always want to talk to you when you can't talk back. So what do you do? And what do you think about the weather? But you don't like to stay on the dentist chair because sometimes it's painful. You want to get off the chair. The altar refines us. The altar puts to death stuff in us that is not of God. And so the thing about a living sacrifice is that we can get off the altar. We can try to get off the altar. And God says, no, I want you to stay on the altar even while I'm refining you. You're living, but I want you to stay there. And I want you to notice this. There's a special emphasis on your bodies. Why our bodies? Let me tell you this. Some of you may not know this. The Gnostics thought that it didn't matter what you did with your body. What on, the only thing that mattered was your spirit. The Gnostics, during the time of Jesus and after Jesus, they believed that the body was evil and that your spirit was good. So whatever you did with your body didn't matter. It just mattered what you did with your mind and with what you did with your spirit. That was called Gnosticism. That's not Christianity. Christianity actually has an opposite view, that what you do with your body really matters to God. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Verse 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their body. 
Listen to this. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And he goes on to say, listen, you were bought at a price. What price? The blood of Jesus purchased you, redeemed you. The word redeem means to buy back. You were lost because of your sin. The blood of Jesus bought you back. You now belong to him. Your bodies now have his seal on it. And inside of your body, the moment that you become born again, the Holy Spirit makes your body a temple. So you are walking temples of God. Wherever you go, you bring the presence of God. Your body becomes now the place that houses God because the third person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit now lives inside of your body, coaching you, empowering you, walking through you. But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Why? Because your bodies belong to God. You are temple. You go to the gym, it's temple maintenance. My body, Lord, belongs to you. Can I tell you this? Listen to how most people operate. Most people in this world who operate, they operate allowing their flesh to dominate their life. If this were a train, at the front of the train would be their body. God has given you physical impulses. You have the desire to eat, that's good. You have the desire to sleep, that's good. You have sexual desire, that's good. It's not a bad thing. But when you overeat, that's called gluttony. You need to sleep and regenerate your body, but when you oversleep, and that's called laziness. You have a healthy sexual desire. And by the way, I know that in churches, churches, sometimes you hear no, 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 don't, 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 almost like sex were a bad thing. That's not true. Sex is a great thing. It's a God-given thing. It's a God invention. But to be managed and unleashed only within what God calls a holy matrimony, that's between a man and a woman that have covenanted together before God to live in a monogamous relationship and ask God to be the center of it and unleash their love and their desire towards one another, that's called marriage. So listen, he says to a very pagan world, a world that doesn't understand, a world that is a sex-saturated world, he tells them, hey, by the way, let me tell you, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we don't get drunk, because the Bible says, do not get drunk with wine. Why? You don't want to, your body's the temple. I think anything that damages your body, you shouldn't do. And we could pick on a lot of things. I don't want to pick on you here, but I will a little bit. You say, you say, well, pastor, we're in the Bible that said do not smoke. The Bible doesn't say do not smoke, but it doesn't either say do not throw yourself in front of a moving car. 
But it does say you the body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, so you need to take care of that temple. It's holy unto God. And so I would say, watch the temple, guard the temple. But what it does say a lot about is how we manage the desires of our body. The Bible talks about it. And I know that I'm talking in a, in, in a, a world that has very little understanding of what it means to honor God with our body. And when I say to, every time I say this, I'm saying it to a 23-year-old today. You may be in the congregation and you're 23 and you read this and you say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Uh, that we, that my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. What it means that when it comes to sexual drive and sexuality, that means that you hold the reins back until you actually get married and put a ring on someone's finger and say, yes, I do. And then you can enjoy sex. You're saying, hold on, pastor. What are you saying? Are you telling me that I'm not planning on getting married for the next five years and getting a job in the next five years? Are you telling me that I can't have sex for the next five years? I'm not telling you God's telling you that. God's telling you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you have power to walk in holiness and restraint until that time. You say, that's crazy. And I'm going to tell you this. Listen, Jesus is countercultural. We live in the world and not of the world. The way we follow Jesus in a radical way, it means that you live in a radical way that's different from the world that around, that's around you. It means that you are holy, called out unto God, a living sacrifice. It means that the entire world around you, and I've had so many people that have dated and said, I'm going to date God's way, and their friends are always saying, I, their friends are like, this is crazy, unbelievable. You mean you've been dating two years and you guys haven't done it yet? And they say, no, we're waiting till marriage. That's crazy. Wow, that's unusual. Well, within the church, it should not be unusual. It should be the norm because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're called to live in holiness before God. We're counterculture in the way that we live. Some of you got really quiet. Yeah, let me say it real up front. If you're living together with your girlfriend right now and you've been living together for seven years and you have kids together, I want to say I'm glad you're here. Praise God you're here. If you're a believer in Jesus the Christ, then I want to challenge you right now. I don't care how long you've been living with your girlfriend. You need to start couching it because even if you have kids together, your sex isn't sanctioned right now before God. You say, well, pastor, what should I do? Get married. And if you're living with your boyfriend right now and he hasn't married you and hasn't proposed, feel free to give him an elbow right now in the house of God and say, come on, speed it up, bro. And I want to say that in the nicest way possible because I know that if you just came to Christ, I know that you, you're just learning all these things. But I want you to understand that we are living counterculture, that our bodies belong to God, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that happens when God uses us is that we say, God, my body, my soul, my mind, it belongs to you. And I want to live and walk in a way that honors you in everything that I do. Whatever you would do at the temple, hey, walk where you talk, how you talk, where you walk. I have people that come, sometimes walk into the church and they say, you know, I don't know, the roof's going to fall in because I haven't been in a church in a long time. They almost have this idea that God lives in a building. 
And then somehow he's blind outside of this building. And then when you walk in, he's got to say, oh, you? Where you been for 10 years? That's not the way God, it is. God is everywhere out of the t- all the time. But let me tell you, when you walk into your work on Monday morning, it could be a crass environment where people are anti-God and very far from Scripture. But when you walk into the house of God, when you walk into your work on Sunday morning, I'm gonna, uh, or on Monday morning, let me tell you what you do. You bring the presence of the living God there. Number two, renew your mind. Not only surrender your body, but renew your mind. It tells us in verse 2, And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he first of all tells us that your body's the temple. And by the way, next time you're out on a date, girls, and a guy starts to get a little too frisky, can you just say, hey, temple boundaries? You say, oh, Pastor, he's not going to understand what I'm saying. If he's a believer, he will. And let me tell you, if he's a believer, he's going to respect it. And if he's not a believer, you probably shouldn't be dating him. Hello. You say, well, pastor, I think this is called missionary dating. I think I can date him. He doesn't know Jesus, and I'm going to lead him to Jesus. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You need to not even consider dating that doesn't have someone. If if Jesus is Lord of your life, you have no business dating someone else that doesn't have Jesus as Lord of their life because the center of your life is Jesus. You want to be with someone who the center of their life is Jesus as well. That is a word of advice that you should never forget. So you surrender your body, you renew your mind. What does it mean to renew your mind? I heard someone say this recently, it got me thinking a lot, and it's really in line with Scripture. Whatever is your dominant thought, whatever dominates your thinking, is where you as a person will go. Your dominant thoughts will dictate your behavior. Whatever dominates your thinking It will dictate how you behave and what you do with your life. If you are a person that is dominated by hate and you have deep bitterness and hate within your soul, then you will think a lot of violent thoughts. You will be attracted to violence. You will end up doing violence. You will be aggressive and hateful and damaging to people because you are dominated by hate. If you are an individual who, for some reason, has allowed a critical thinking to dominate your thoughts, and every time you think about yourself, you think that you can't do it and that you're nothing. If you grew up in a negative household and it's self-deprecating thoughts all of the time, then that will dominate your thinking. 
When you walk into an auditorium like this, you won't, you won't be thinking, how can I worship God? You'll be thinking, what do people think about me? Am I dressed right? Am I going to sit alone? Am I doing things right? Will they accept me? Do they like me? What, what, if, what if they laugh at me? What if I don't fit in? If that is your dominant thinking, it's going to be hard for you to think about God and follow God because you'll be obsessed with how little value you have and wanting to be accepted by people. If you're dominated by this idea of I want my needs met, and that's what's the dominant thoughts in your life, then you're going to think when you walk into a place like this, how can people meet your needs? You'll be a user, a manipulator. You'll try to get people to meet your needs and then discard them. You'll lie. You'll manipulate. You'll do whatever it takes to take advantage of people so that people can meet your needs because it's the dominant thought of your life. Whatever dominates your thinking will dominate your behavior. Some of us have come to Jesus we become believers in Jesus the Christ, but we have not renewed our minds. So we have a new spirit, but we have an old mind. At the moment of your salvation, your soul is cleaned. Your spirit is renewed. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. The only part of you that is not immediately transformed of your spirit and your soul is your mind. Your mind has to go through a journey of renewal. God does not give you a brain transplant when you become a believer. So here's what happens. We have a lot of people that are believers but are living with an old mindset. So even though you're a follower of Jesus, your mind towards your wife and marriage is the old mindset. You're a believer, but your mentality towards dating is an old mindset. You're a believer, but your mentality towards Work and ethics is the old mindset. And so what needs to happen is that your new mindset needs to catch up with who you are in Christ. And this is what it tells us. Listen, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. What world? This world system. We live in a broken, dark, and fallen world system that does not acknowledge God. And it's very easy to be swept up into this world system and this world thinking. And so he says... Do not be like the world that you're in. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you need to find a cave in Israel and hibernate in the cave with the Bible and read the Bible day in and out and pray and isolate from your world. Jesus said that we're in the world but not of the world. So the challenge is how do you live in an environment where people are living like the world and embracing the world culture but you maintain your own spirituality and your own distinctness as a follower of Jesus, that is a challenge. And the Apostle Paul tells us how to do that. He says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is the word metamorphosized. Be, you, be ye metamorphosized. When a caterpillar develops a cocoon, Within that cocoon, a caterpillar is being metamorphosized into a butterfly. It's funny because I see, well, I see little kids looking at a caterpillar going, oh, oh, oh. 
And then that same metamorphosized caterpillar that's now a butterfly, I see little kids going, oh, look, 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 look. One they want to move away from, but after it's metamorphosized, they're attracted to. You see, it's the same with you and I. You and I are being metamorphosized by the renewing of our mind. The way our behaviors change is when our, is when our mind is renewed. Your behavior follows your thinking. If you don't change your thinking, you won't change your behavior. What the Word of God is telling us is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. When you have surrendered your body and when you've renewed your mind, now your body is walking in holiness and your mind is walking in renewal. Suddenly you find yourself doing the will of God in the center of his will and being used by God because your body is surrendered and your mind is renewed. That is the, that is the place that God wants you, a renewed mind and a surrendered body. By the way, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2 and 3, Jesus went up to a mountain with three disciples, and the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured. We call it the mountain of transfiguration. The same word used there is used here. It says Jesus was metamorphosized in front of them. He was transformed in front of them. Same word is used. You are metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. You say, well, pastor, how do I renew my mind? Well, it's pretty simple, but it's not easy. Garbage in, garbage out. Truth in, truth out. The question is, what are you exposing your mind to the most? If you expose yourself to lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie, you tend to believe the lies. If you expose yourself to garbage after garbage after garbage after garbage after garbage, you tend to embrace the garbage. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. If you want to renew your mind, you start with the Word. You read the word, you meditate on the word, you memorize the word, you saturate your mind with the word of God because it's not just a book, it's the living word of God that transforms your thinking. The word of God gives you a perspective on marriage, on parenting, on dating. It gives you a perspective on sexuality, on work, on ethic, on worldview. It helps you understand that God is in control. It leads you to praise. It leads you to holiness. It teaches you what's wrong, what's right, what's good, what's bad. And we spend so very little time in the word. You say, well, Pastor, I love Jesus, and I'm trying to live for God, but I keep struggling, I keep falling, I keep, I keep, well, let me, let me ask you a little bit, where's your mind? What do you spend your time? Well, you know, Pastor, I do come to church on Sunday, and I get, I get your messages. Good. That's a start. 
a start. It's like if you ate once a week. Someone says, I'm, I'm so tired by Friday. I don't know what's going on. They say, well, tell me, how, tell me about your lifestyle. Well, on Sunday I go, I have this big buffet. I have this big meal, and then I don't eat till next Sunday. Well, of course you're tired by Friday. Because you eat on Sunday, it's not enough. Listen, you get the word on Sunday, and then you're binge-watching The Bachelorette Monday through Thursday. And I'm not cracking down on any particular movie, but what is it that you're filling your mind with? The average millennial spends about four to five hours in social media, Instagram, TikTok, when they want to talk to their grandmothers or parents, they go on Facebook. <laughs> they don't put anything real on Facebook because they know their parents are on Facebook. It all happens. Four to five hours. And let me tell you, a lot of what you're scrolling through isn't necessarily, quote unquote, edifying. Well, I pass, I'm just looking at it, and it just pops up, so I follow the trail, goes to here, goes there, and it's... Let me tell you, what are you filling your mind with? Because whatever you fill your mind with will affect your behavior. And I guess what I'm saying is that some of us need to be intentional about what we're filling our mind with, and so I want to challenge you. And I'm running out of time here. i got to wrap this up. But I want to challenge you. Get into the Word. 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 Meditate on it. Memorize it. Know it. Get into the Word. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not a reader. Start to read. And if not, get an audio Bible. When my, when my uh, kids were young, uh, they, they, they had trouble getting into the Word of God, so I'd say, you know, there's, listen to the Word then. And there was an a, a app, if you like beats, and if you're not a reader but you are more of an audio person, there's something called Streetlights, which is a great app that puts sort of beats under Scripture. Uh, one of our pastor's sons actually produced it, and it's an audio Bible that you can listen to as you're driving to school or driving to work. Listen to the Word. Meditate, meditate on it. Get into Scripture. Get the truth. Start saturating yourself with the Word. Meditate on the Word, which means that you go to bed at night thinking about the Word. You wake up in the morning thinking about the Word. It means you're marinating on the Word. The truth is seeping into your soul. And when I say meditate, I'm not talking about emptying your mind and saying, oh. I'm saying, think about the Word. Meditate on Scripture. Don't empty your mind. Fill your mind with the Word of God and let it saturate your soul and begin to change you from the inside out. I got to close here. Let me close with one final story. I'm told that Napoleon Bonaparte that tried to conquer the world, little guy with big ambitions, that he was in a planning room one time with some high up strategist. He pointed to a map and a big 
country on the map that he knew had millions and millions of people. It was the country of China. He pointed to China and he says, there lies a sleeping giant. Let it sleep. Because if it awakens, it'll move the world. You see, what Napoleon understood is they don't even understand how much potential they have. Let them sleep. Because if they awake, they'll move the world. I think there's another strategy room in the recesses of hell where the devil and his minions point to a map of the world. And they point to the church. And they say, there lies a sleeping giant. Let them sleep. Because if they awake, they will dominate the world. I want God to use you. I believe that you have a calling and a purpose on your life. As long as you're asleep, there's nothing to worry about. But when you wake up to the power of God, when you surrender your body and renew your mind and realize that God can use you, then you become a threat to the spiritual world. And so the enemy wants to lull you to sleep. But when you wake up, watch out world, because if the church awakens, it'll shake the world. Now I want you to stand with me. As the musicians make their way on stage, I know this is a challenging word. But I want to challenge you to embrace the challenge. And if you're here today, I want, to, I want you to embrace the challenge of walking, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, of walking as my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I will treat it with dignity and holiness that it deserves in my dating, in my sexuality, in the way that I treat my body and what I intake and what happens with my body. I will realize my body is a temple and I'll treat it in a sacred way like that. And my mind needs to be renewed in the truth of God. And so I'll begin to renew my mind in a powerful, strong way so that my mind can catch up to who I am in Christ because I want to be used of God. Some of you need to crawl back on the altar and say, God, my body belongs to you and I choose to renew my mind. I'm going to open up this altar for anybody that says, you know what? Pastor, I need to crawl back on that altar because I haven't been living like my body belongs to God, but I sanctify a sacrifice unto God. I'm a living sacrifice. doesn't matter where you've been, how long you've been there, what you've done. I believe that God is saying, hey, I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice. And for some of you, it's a call to purity. For others of repentance, married or unmarried, it's a call to renewal of our mind so that God can use us. To challenge, godly challenge, it's coming from the Spirit of God. So I wanna open up this altar. If anybody that needs to come forward and say, God, today 
I acknowledge again that my body belongs to you. I climb up back on that altar that I've climbed off of. And maybe God's saying you need to get rid of some cigarettes or maybe whatever you've allowed to enter into your life that you say, I need to, I need to get rid of it. I need to get rid of it. I don't know what God is dealing with you today, but I, I sense that the Spirit of God is dealing with people today. I sense that some of you are saying, I'm climbing back on that altar, God, because I belong to you. Maybe I climbed off that altar, but today I'm climbing back on it. I'm stepping back on that altar, and I'm saying my body belongs to you, Lord, and my mind needs to be renewed again. I'm saying that again in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I'm saying that. So if you need to make your way to the altar right now, I'm just going to ask that you get out and say, I, I need to go to the altar. I'm making a commitment. I'm recommitting myself to climb back on the altar, climb back on the altar of God. I know what the Spirit of God is saying. I know what he's calling me to. Hey, I don't want to meddle here, but if you're, if you're a believer, if you and your boyfriend are a believer and you've been living together, You've been living together. Listen, sanctify it through marriage. Sanctify it through marriage. Some of you need to say enough with that. We either break up or we get married. Sanctify it through marriage. See what God can do when you get back on the altar and you say, my body belongs to you, God. I renew my mind. Hey, if you're a high school student here, you feel the pressure. Do you feel the pressure? The pressure to give in? The pressure to play around? The pressure to be sexually active? Some of you need to make a vow of purity before God and just say, God, I'm going to go through my high school years and my college year, but I, I consecrate myself to you. I climb on the altar of God. I declare that my body is the temple of God. I respect the temple, and I respect the calling that you have upon my life, God. And so I choose to walk in that kind of purity, Lord. Not because I have to, but because I choose to in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know Jesus. I can't expect you to live like a Christian if you're not a Christian. You will fail flat on your face if you try to live out what Christianity calls you to live out without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what, what Jesus is asking you to live out, you cannot do in your power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will not have the Spirit of God living inside of you unless you're born again. If you are here today and you're not born again, you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Your body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have a spirit, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if I were not a believer and I were here today and I heard the gospel message, I would say, Pastor Mark, I want to give my life to Jesus. He paid a price, but he's waiting for someone to say, he paid a price, but salvation is not automatic. Salvation is received through faith, through repentance, and saying, I repent, and I come to you, and I ask you to be Lord of my life, and come and change me, wash my sins away. I submit my life to you. I choose to be a follower. Now, Jesus, would you change me and cleanse me and transform me? If you have never made that decision, 
And you say, Pastor, I need to be born again today because I don't think the Holy Spirit's inside of me. I don't think I've ever given my life to Christ. I've never said yes to Jesus, but I need to. If you've never been born again, but you say, Pastor, I need to be born again, then I'm going to ask that you just raise your hand and say, I need to be born again, Pastor, today. I, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. I need to be born again today. If you need to be born again, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need to be born again today. And if so, then I'm going to ask that you make your way out of your seat, wherever you're at. Pastor Mike is right here. Coming to Pastor Mike doesn't save you, but being willing to kneel and pray and give your life to Christ, that saves you. If you're willing to do that, he's going to be right up here praying with anybody that needs to pray. Now we're going to sing and let God deal with people's lives today because I believe that God is cleaning up house today. God is... God is calling some people himself. God is calling us to repentance and purity and godliness. God is sanctifying some things today by the power of the living Jesus. Let's sing. As people, as people pray at this altar, let's sing quietly so they can hear there, but let's sing.